If you have your Bibles, uh, you can be finding John, John chapter 16. That's where we're going to be today. Um, I, I hope um, Christmas season's bonkers. I made the mistake of trying to eat in Homewood the other day for lunch, uh, which Homewood's never, you know, nobody's ever said, like, we're going to build a restaurant in Homewood, and Homewood's been like, no. Like, where are all these people going to park? Doesn't matter. Build it anyway, you know? Like, just, just, and plus it was Christmas, so I'm just circling for like half an hour, just texting, dude, I'm so sorry. And he's like, me too, you know? Uh, so Christmas season's crazy. I hope you all your shopping is done. I like to think about uh, gifts, Christmas gifts. Uh, I, I'll tell you uh, one of, uh, when I think of these time, this time of year, uh, dude, I remember probably like one of the greatest Christmas gifts I ever got. Um, I was in college, and... Uh, um, my girlfriend at the time gave me, uh, I didn't even see it coming. Like we had, I don't know if we've been even dating that long, a Nintendo 64, which for all you old people, that's a video game uh, system. For you young people, it's an old video game system. Um, but it was amazing. Like not, not just the game, but like an extra controller, like the thoughtfulness to think that not like what I need to be able to play my roommate, right? The thoughtfulness to get the second controller and then a couple just excellent games. Uh, like I just was just blown away. Like I was like, that's why I had to marry her. And, and so like, it, it was, it, it, but I just remember just being almost speechless at the gift, you know? Um, if you want to know the numbers, that's 25 years of disappointing Christmas gifts um, since that moment, you know? Uh, it's just exciting, you know. Christmas is exciting. Gifts are exciting. I love this time of year. So we're we're in Advent right now. Uh, we're not even Christmas yet, but I'm, I'm already anticipating and thinking about that 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 celebration. But Advent is the season that leads up to Christmas that prepares us for Christmas by reminding us that we live our entire lives in between the arrivals of Jesus, right? He came once as a baby. He will come again as the conquering king. And so we, uh, we, we live in the in-between. And um, the season of Advent was set up by the church a long time ago. And there's, there's just themes that come up in Advent. So this year we're walking through the different spiritual themes, different biblical themes uh, that have a special place at this time of year. Uh, we talked about waiting, like the kids sang earlier, right? When they led us in worship, which is what they were doing. We want them to know that this is their church and that they have a place in worship. So as they led us in worship, they, they, they sang about we wait and we hope. We talked about the temptation is, and scripture says this, and it's just I just know it from experience, the temptation is to look around at what everybody else is doing, what the culture is doing, and begin to numb the pain or seek meaning elsewhere. And there's this great passage where Isaiah says, I know these bad things are coming, there's temptation that's going to arrive, but me, for me, I'm going to wait on God to act. Because uh, the Bible tells us so often to wait and to hope because we are so bad that we end up taking things in our own hands and it always goes poorly. The Bible says we wait for the Lord. Waiting means not taking things in our own hands, but waiting for him to act. But we wait with hope, right? We wait for um, him to act in time and space, but we also look for him acting even now uh, among us. So we talked about waiting and hope. Uh, we talk about peace and shalom, uh, or shalom, like this kind of fuller word, uh, I think, uh, this is a Hebrew word, uh, uh, that just means wholeness and completeness, uh, that this comes from God, uh, that 
Paul says it can be learned and it can be had even now. So this completeness where God himself guards our heart and minds. And the Christian way of having this and arriving here is, is unique because it says we should deal with reality, right? We don't push things away, but we deal with reality. So we listen to the truth. We confess and repent for not having believed it, right? And then we apply the gospel. That's how we seek and pursue peace. Today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, joy. Joy is a related concept, right? It's related to peace and, and, and to hope and into waiting. Uh, they all seem to have something in common. They're, they're different things, right? But they seem to be, um, share, share something. Like I was thinking about it, and I don't, I don't know that you can have hope and peace and not have joy. And can you? I mean, I mean, can you have those two? I mean, I would. It seems, and it seems that joy is a necessary response, or it's the result of the hope and the peace that we have in the gospel. That joy is the resulting thing. So we're going to talk about joy this morning. Uh, there's all over the Bible, but you know what? We're going to look at John 16 this morning. This is Jesus. Uh, it is very near the crucifixion. He's in the room with his. Uh, 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 Disciples and followers, and he says this in John 16. I'm starting verse 16. A little while longer, and you'll see me no more. You'll see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you'll see me. <laughs> so some of his disciples said to one another, what, what, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again in a while, you'll see me again. And because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you'll not see me. And again, in a little while, you'll see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman's giving birth, she's sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you shall ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So what's going on is they're in the upper room and Jesus is preparing them. He's talking to them about what's about to happen. And so he, he says, and it's, it's, I just love how, how misunderstood he is, <laughs> how they don't understand him. And he's, so he's saying, hey, what's about to happen? Uh, I'm going to be gone for a little bit. You're not going to see me. And then you see me again. And they're confused by this. They don't understand what he's talking about. He says that he's going to go to the Father. And not only that, he says, I'm going to go to the Father. But it's actually, it's good for you that I'm going to the Father. And this is all very, very confusing to them. Uh, they don't know what's about to happen, but Jesus is preparing them anyway. Um, he says, there's going to come a time and it's going to get dark. Matter of fact, it's going to get so dark that you're going to look around and it's going to look like the world has won because they're going to be celebrating. But, he says, then you'll see me again and this joy will overwhelm you and this joy is never going to leave you. Your sorrow will be turned 
into joy. This is amazing to me uh, because if I knew that I was facing the cross, I don't know that my first, responsibility, my, my first response would be to worry about your joy. Isn't that amazing? That he is facing the cross. He knows what he's facing on the cross. And his response is to prepare them to know, hey, there's going to be a joy that does not fade. Do, no matter what happens, I need you to know and be ready. That He's very concerned that they know and are prepared that they will have joy and this joy will be full. Uh, joy comes up all, a lot in the Bible. Like it comes up <laughs> so much. The Psalms talk about it. The prophets talk about it. Isaiah promises it. Like Isaiah says in Isaiah 35.10, it says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. There's like 13 different words, root words that are used for joy in the Old Testament. It's just all over the place. Rejoice, joy, all of these things all over the place in scripture. It's amazing to me how much the Bible is concerned with joy. It's absolutely central to Christianity. The inaugural act of the New Testament is the announcement of joy, right? In Luke uh, chapter two, verse 10, uh, the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. There's this announcement at the very beginning that something has happened There's good news, and this good news is of tremendous joy, and it's being announced to shepherds on a hillside, to outsiders. Great joy for all people. That's the announcement. That's how the New Testament starts. It's so central to the Christian faith that the New Testament basically starts with that announcement. As a matter of fact, Christianity is a uniquely uniquely joyous religion. It is wonderfully focused on how to be joyous. Um, at the center of Christianity is this good news that Jesus Christ was resurrected from his crucifixion, death as through crucifixion, to be Lord of the entire universe. That is central. It is a religion of joy. Uh, this guy, um, I don't know where he got it from, but this guy, theologian Moltman, uh, he said that Christianity is... Christmas songs and Easter laughter. Yeah, like it's amazing how much Christianity is centered on joy because we're made for it, right? I think, I think it's, we long for it because we were made for it, right? Don't you look for, don't we look for joy everywhere? Uh, uh, in his uh, imaginary uh, telling of a visit, uh, a bus ride uh, from hell into heaven, uh, C.S. Lewis writes in, uh, about this in uh, uh, The Great Divorce. It's, just, it's an imaginary, it's a fiction, obviously fictional tale, uh, but it, it, there's so, much, so many interesting things. And, and one, of the, one of the ones that arrives in heaven, and they're trying to show, show these spirits heaven, uh, and one of them is just so been out of shape uh, that when they get to heaven, everything seems more solid and they, you can see through them, right? They don't seem real. The, the image is that heaven is the real place and this is the shadow land. Right? So they get into heaven and it's very, very real. The, the, the grass doesn't bend underneath them. Right? It's that. And so one of them is very upset about this, embarrassed, will not come out. And one of, the, one of the heavenly beings is trying to convince this person to come out. And it says this, but they'll see me. 
What does it matter if they do? I'd rather die. You've already died. <laughs> but there's no point in going back to that. And the ghost made a sound something between a snob and a snarl. I wish I'd never been born, it said. What are we born for? For infinite happiness, said the spirit. You can step into it at any moment. But I tell you, they'll see me. I love that Lewis picking up on the theme of scripture that we were made in the garden for a relationship with God and that we were created for infinite joy and God is putting things back together. It is what we were made for. It's why we constantly look for it. Jesus in this passage promises us. He says, listen, I'm going to leave, but the Father is going to send the Spirit into you. Father's going to send the Spirit. Uh, Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 4. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God came into the world as a a man, as a child in Bethlehem. And then he is sent into our hearts by the spirit. Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside of us. This is why Jesus says, it's good for you that I'm going to leave because you're going to have a new, more intimate relationship with God than you could have ever imagined when he sends his spirit to be inside of you. So here's why I bring that up. I mean, if, like, if, you, had to, like, if you had to do a mood board, you know what that is? I don't know. I've, I've heard people talk about it. I've never done one. But if you had to do a mood board of Christianity... What would it be like? I, I know what mine would be like. It would be very dark. Like it, would be, it would be all about like repentance, and it would, be, it would all be like, you have to confess, and it would be like a list of all the things that I've done wrong. Like that would probably be, in my, in my worst moment, my mood board. But that's not at all the picture that the Bible paints of being a Christian. I would tell you if you ask me about Christianity of all the times that I have failed, of all the times that I have fallen short, of how much I need salvation, I would tell you all of these things because it is where my broken, sinful heart goes to constantly. But scripture is so corrective and it pushes you to a different place. The mood board of Christianity is joy. It's joy. He says, the spirit, I'm going to send my spirit inside of you to be inside of you and dwell inside of you. And then in the next chapter, he tells us what that's going to look like. Chapter five, Galatians. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What does the spirit that God sends into our life produce inside us? That kind of life. That kind of life. That kind of peace and assurance and love and joy. Joy's kind of hard to define, though, right? I mean, um, I think it's one of those things you know when you see it, though, right? I have two images in my head when I think of joy that just pop in my head no matter what I do, right? I can't help it. One of them is, uh, I, I genuinely hate the internet, like, but every now and then something is like, all right, maybe it's worth it, you know? There's this picture of this kid on Christmas morning, and he goes and he gets the gift from behind the tree. There's this video on YouTube. And he pulls it out and he begins to open it. And it's an Xbox. It's not me. It's a different kid. And he opens it. It's a little kid. 
And, and the second the paper comes off, he begins to scream. And he holds it and he begins to rock back and forth. And then as he tears it open even further, he begins to actually weep over this gift. And I'm like, man, that's joy. Like, you, he didn't see it coming. Like, he just, like, was just, he just weeping and rocking. And just, I think of that picture. The other thing that I think in my head uh, is my golden retriever, Mabel. When I get up in the morning, she like rolls over and just like, pet my belly, you know. But then when everybody's up and the house is awake, she's going to fetch every toy she has to bring it in the middle. She's like, guys, who knows what could happen today? Like, that's just her attitude. Who knows, man? Maybe we could go for a walk. Maybe we could play ball. Who knows? Maybe Taylor will come over and I'll lose my mind. Like, that's just like her idea. Like, not when I show up, she doesn't do that. But like, Taylor, she's like, he lives next door. Calm down. Like, you see him every day. But she just loses, like the joy of this just like, Everything that happens is so unexpected and such a gift. Those are the images that I think of when I think about joy. I and mean, joy's related to hap- happiness, right? It's, it's related to gladness. Uh, this one, I read this not too long ago. Uh, a guy said, happiness without joy is a masquerade, right? Like, to pretend to be happy, just to slap that. There's nothing in your core that's celebrating, but you're happy on the outside, right? I, Happiness without joy is a masquerade. Joy without happiness is a spiritual law. Yeah. Like, happiness will accompany joy at some point. Uh, I, I dislike fake smiles. You know what I mean? Like, I dislike the, like, just slap a happy face on it, you know? I, a Christianity that just says, like, hey, you know what? Go out there, put on a brave pay- face because you don't want to give Christianity a bad reputation. I, I, I don't love it. I don't like it. I, I don't want a fake joy. I want the promised joy of Scripture. I don't want to pretend I want actual heart change. That's what I want. I want to be that. I don't want a masquerade. I want this true and deep joy. In scripture, most of the time, joy is related. It's all kind of different things. Uh, it's mentioned around like even like a birthday and, and other celebrations. But most of the time, it seems to go about be related to rescue. Like they're always celebrating or rejoicing around rescue. Um, in the New Testament too, though, right? Because in this announcement, right, in Luke 2, uh, verses 10 and 11, let's go back. Uh, and the angels of the Lord said to them, to the, to the uh, outsiders, to the shepherds, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here it is. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The announcement to the angels of, of, of the, to the shepherds by the uh, by the angels is an announcement of good news of great joy. Why? Their salvation. There's rescue. Real rescue is here. And of course, surprise accompanies that. I think, I think surprise always accompanies, um, I, think, I think surprise always accompanies joy in some way, right? Like there's always this kind of like, what? like there's always this surprise, like Mabel, you know? Oh, that little kid with the Xbox, what? No way. You know, the angels show up and start screaming, you know, like, oh, if you're not, like, ah, there's always a surprise of a great gift. It's hard to surprise somebody with a gift card, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, chilies, thanks, like, baby back, baby back ribs. Like, it's not that you're not appreciative, it's not that like you're grateful for the If you plan on giving me a gift card later today, go right ahead. I'll be very grateful. But it's like, it's not this big surprise of like, didn't see that coming, you know what I mean? Like, no way. Uh, the gift that comes 
that it's a surprise. I think those are the things that are joy. Luke 2, we see it. Isaiah, we see it. It's a surprise, this God's announcement. So this, this joy that, that we're supposed to have, I mean, there's, um, as we wait in hope, we wait for this joy that never ends, this eternal joy, this joy that's held for us in the future, that's kept for us, right? There's this, this future joy that never ends, the everlasting joy that Isaiah talked about. That is available to those who are adopted as children of God. First Peter, uh, Peter writes about this uh, to a, in a letter. He says this at the opening of his letter. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, are, God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, even if for a little while, if necessary, you're grieved by various trials. There is a future inheritance that is kept secure in heaven for those who are adopted children of God that we did not earn, that is imperishable, that is far beyond anything that we could ever have. That is kept for us in heaven, and we wait for that. Yeah, and that's great. We, there's a joy that is coming. And the rejoicing that we do now is because of what we will have in heaven, what's been secured for us. But the Bible's not delusional about suffering, right? There's no notion in Scripture that even though it focuses so much on joy, that everything is going to be perfect now. The psalmist, Psalm 30, uh, verse 5, is amazing. His anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. If you are in a season of weeping, the promise of Scripture is there is a morning coming where there will be no more sadness where all tears will be wiped away. That is the promise, and that is amazing. But what about joy now? I, I want joy now. I want joy in the wilderness, in the foreign land. I want that. And so, so joy seems to be, it's more than happiness. It's more than, than uh, just celebrating. It's, it seems to be more of a state of being, more of a choice than happiness is. It talks about in Scripture so much in the New Testament about having joy in the middle of suffering. Uh, just one example, Second Corinthians 7. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I'm overflowing with joy. Joy seems to be something that, can, that transcends what is going on that we can have in the middle of even suffering and trials. It's not dependent on present circumstances as much as it is the future that we have and who we have been declared to be in Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on, we can have great joy because of what has been promised to us. The focus on joy, happiness, the 
focuses on now, on the circumstances, on what's happening to me now. Joy in Scripture and what Christ is telling them in this passage is to take the focus of them and their circumstances and place it somewhere else. The joy comes from outside of us. Um, It's placed on something else and somewhere else. Do... So I remember this one time. Uh, I think I'm in college, I guess. I don't know my, my those years. Uh, but uh, I, was, um, I was on a flag football team. And it was, it was a good season. I had a guy who had, it was, had, he played lineman for Auburn. And he had like, but he was off the, he was in grad school. So he was on my team. And basically he was like seven foot tall. And he would just, we just turn around and just throw it in the air. And he's the only one who could jump up and catch it. We were doing great. And we were headed into the semifinals. And all I could think about for two weeks leading up to that game was the game. Drawing plays, I failed it. I got not failed, but I got a C or a bad grade on a test. Didn't matter. Anything could have happened to me during those two weeks, and it did not matter because all I could think about was that game. Nothing that happened mattered except that game. Everything that happened paled in comparison to my longing and my joy that I was going to have in this game when we won and beat a team we had already beaten in the regular season. We lost. And the reality of the bad grade and the relationship damage and all the things that happened in those two weeks came crashing in pretty rapidly. That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says about the, the image of a woman in birth pains. He doesn't say that when the baby is born, there's no more pain. If you've been around a hospital room, you know that's not true. There is still pain and there is still hurt. What Jesus is saying is that even in the pain and suffering, there is a joy that can make the suffering pale in comparison to the joy. It can fade into the background because the joy is so great. Sufferings in this world are real, but they fade when you stack them up against the cross and resurrection and adoption, and eternity. The Bible's not saying you won't face trials. Matter of fact, it says you will. It just says they pale in comparison to what you're promised and the reality of who you are in Jesus. So I, maybe I wonder then why I've struggled. Maybe you have too with joy, right? I want the peace of Christ. I have hope in Jesus. Where is the joy? Why don't I feel this? Why isn't the Spirit producing this in me? And I don't know. Maybe you're in a new place in your journey, and maybe you'll be there. Maybe you're in a dip in that, in that journey. I don't know. But I do know this. Uh, there are several things in the Bible uh, that tell us uh, the things that will kill joy. There are joy killers. You, you have to constantly be on the lookout in your life for joy killers. A number one joy killer pride number one joy killer is pride i think we think of pride as being this really like killing pride seems like the hard thing right like it's like to be humble seems like the heaviest thing uh, uh, again lewis that's two today that you know of could have been more two today lewis said uh this uh, in christianity to get even near humility even for a moment is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert Pride grumbles at everything. Humility joyfully receives life as a gift. 
We think of humility as this impossible burden, but in reality, it's pride that's heavy. There's a song that I love. Uh, the, the lyric in the chorus is, pride won't get you where you're going. We think of it as the, humility is the heavy thing to get to. When humility is the light thing, pride is the heavy thing. It keeps us from so much. Um, so one of my favorite stories about this uh, is just, oh, it's just, you know, so this whole chapter, as a matter of fact, if you just want to read over it later, um, Luke 15, there's these three illustrations. There's the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, this, this guy loses one of the sheep and he leaves all the other sheep to go find the sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he picks, this is what happens. When he finds the sheep, he, calls, he, says, he puts it on his, on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. So I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he goes right into the next story uh, about someone losing, a woman losing a coin. And she brings everybody in, they go looking for it, and they can't find it. And then when she finds it, she says, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The next story, building right on it, is the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know it, spend the rest of your life just soaking it in. Every time I think I've plumbed the depths of it, it wrecks me anew. It's a story of this man who, uh, young man who goes to his father and basically says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Give me my inheritance now. Goes off into a foreign land uh, and just blows everything. Just spends it everything on reckless living, um, and, uh, <laughs> and and finally, he just finds himself so broke and alone that he is um, feeding pigs and so hungry he's eating what the pigs ate. Um, and he comes to himself and he says, "How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." He arose, came to his father, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced him, kissed him. And his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead alive again, lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. It takes us coming to a point in life that we realize we have squandered so much that the Father has given us. To look at our lives realistically and recognize that this morning and yesterday and the day before that and tomorrow, I am going to need rescue. Because I'm squandering. And that our Father, when we run to him and say, listen, I'm not even worthy to be your servant. We have to recognize that every single day to wake up and be amazed, amazed, to be surprised and overwhelmed that the Father has said to us who do not deserve to be his servants, you're a son. But I don't deserve to be a servant. You're my son. Let's celebrate. Not only that, what's amazing about the story, and this is a side note, but I got to tell you anyway because it's too good. The joy of God. We worship a God who wants us to have his joy, right? Who rejoices in this? The Father does. The Father sees the wayward one and runs to them and rejoices. 
Do not ever get over that. If you were struggling with joy and you wonder why, maybe you've forgotten that. It happens. You've forgotten that this is what your sin cost and this is who you are. The cross. Run to him. Pride keeps us. The other thing that keeps us uh, is um, comparison. Comparison is a joy killer. Joy killer. Starts in the garden, right? They're literally in paradise. Everything provided for them. And the servant goes, yeah, but you're not God. What? My favorite story of this. There's a lot of them. My favorite. We do, sometimes on Wednesday nights when we're doing BCC Kids, we'll do a, a, like a, they love it when we do, um, uh, what do you call it? Hunt, you know, like we hunt for stuff, whatever. Uh, Thank you. That's it. Scavenger hunt. We'll do a scavenger hunt and we'll put clues all over the place and they'll just like run around. It's like, it'll be like the next clues underneath where uh, Chris and Wendy sit and they'll just run right here and they'll like look under there for the next clue. It's a blast. And we'll hide candy at each place and, and they'll, they'll, uh, the guy said that's up for us. Uh, my favorite though was when we come in out here and they've, they've, uh, they found the candy stash back here and one of the kids is crying. And I go, hey, what happened? You okay? You all right? And they said, she has three pieces of candy. And I went, what? She has three pieces of candy. How many do you have? Two. I only get two. She got three. And I said, a second ago, you had zero. You had no candy at all. And, you ha- and now you have two. But she has three. And so you're sad? And I was like, I just want to look at me like, do better. And then I was like, you know what? You're probably not going to grow out of this. Like, I hope you do. Do better than me and your parents. Like, like I hope you grow out of this, but you're probably not going to, right? It's just, it's, it's nature. It's nature. Like, do better than us. The, the, it's, the comparison is a joy killer. You have to stop. What happens is comparison so often rolls into something that becomes even more toxic, which is envy. Envy, envy is when, when comparison gets to a place that you're sad when somebody is else successful and happy when they fail. Ugh, like, oh, gross. When you say it that way, gross. Ugh. Yeah, uh-huh. In my heart and yours. Here's what you do. Here's my advice to you. We want joy that Jesus talks about when you find envy or comparison jumping up in your heart. Here's what you do. The one that you're envious of, pray that God blesses them even more. Every day, get up. That person who got the promotion that you wanted that you have to see every day and it eats you up inside when you have to walk past that person who didn't deserve that promotion and you did, you know what you do? You pray for them. You pray that God blesses them even more and that Christ is made much of in their life and in their heart. When someone has a thing, a good thing that you want and it hurts you that they have it, go to God and pray that God blesses them even more. Because envy and comparison will eat you up inside and it will rob you of the joy that God has for you. We have to eliminate joy killers. Some Proverbs 14.30 says this, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh but envy makes bones rot. Eliminate joy killers in your life. Pride, envy, comparison, and instead practice gratitude. 
Be grateful for what you do have, even if someone has three and you only have two. Last thing, last two things, real quick. Stop. Now we're fine. Stop asking things to carry your joy that can't support it. We so often take our joy and give it to things that just aren't designed to hold it. You know what I mean? Things, I mean, like houses, cars, like, like stuff that fades. We ask it to carry the joy, and then we're like, I don't understand why it's like, why it's not carrying, why am I? Because it's not designed to carry your joy. It's a terrible thing. So often, so many times I sit down, we'll talk with people that are struggling in marriage and just having going through a tough, a tough spot in marriage. And, and I, when you come to me, just know this is my first trick, my first trick. Like, I'm going I'm to trick you. It's my goal. I'm trying to. If you come to me, and it's good, you should come anyway. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to push you to the place where one of you finally goes, I'm just not happy. And then, I got you. Who told you marriage was supposed to make you happy? That was the primary purpose of marriage. Now, I think it's an absolute wonderful consequence of a good marriage. But we look at somebody and go, that's your job forever to make me happy? That's too much for them to bear. Are you willing to do what it takes to make them happy forever? We even marriage, which is a beautiful thing, it's a good thing. Or kids, they're good things. We ask them to carry our joy and wonder where it goes. We put that instead and focus on Christ. We can put those things in the right place in our heart, and God uses them as sources of joy in our life when we place all of our hope on Him. Stop asking things to carry joy that can't handle it. Last thing, focus on Christ. That's it. This is how much your sin costs. This is also how deeply loved you are. To focus on the reality that you have been made a child of the king. This is joy. So here's how you do this. We do this in worship. One of the primary goals of worship is to realign our affections to the joy and the hope that we have in Jesus. Why do we get together and sing these songs? Not because you couldn't listen to them in the car, because you know in community what other people are going through. And when you hear someone suffering and they sing with great joy, it will crush you. The Spirit will use the voices of others to crush you in the best way possible to heal you and bring you back. We worship to put our joy in the right place. We read scripture and we do this in community and in service. We have to stare at something greater than our troubles. To stare at the grace of of the cross. To think about it. To sing about it. To talk about it. When we do these things, joy will find you. It'll sneak up on you. When I was growing up, uh, uh, they would tell me that they told me that joy was uh, Jesus, others, yourself. You know, you're just like, okay, well, that's that's all right. And then you get older, and you're like, that's silly. Uh, I mean, that's only in English, right? Like, what are the rest of the world going to do? You know. Then you get a little bit older, and you're like, ah, you know what? There's really something to that, right? Ordering your priorities that way, where we set our focus on Christ, we serve others, and we think of ourselves last. When we do this and we set our problems up against the mountain of grace, they fade into the distance and we will find that joy has snuck up on us and has us. Yes, we wait for a long joy. Yes, there's sorrow. Yes, but joy even now as the troubles of the world fade in comparison to the love and grace of Christ. Practice this this Advent season. And by Advent season, I mean the rest of your life till Jesus comes back. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the joy of the cross. I thank you for the beauty of the cross. I thank you for grace that, yeah, our troubles are real. Our struggles are real. Our suffering is real. Our loss is real. But nothing can compare to the surprise to find ourselves by faith in Jesus. Not servants of the great most high God, but sons, daughters, children of the king by faith in Christ. What a gift. And we have troubles and we have trials, but teach us with great wisdom to look not at our trials and not at our troubles, but instead to look at the cross. Give us a community. Thank you for, I thank you for BCC that has done this for me faithfully, pointed me beyond me to you. May we grow in hope while we wait. May we grow in peace so that our joy may be complete. Fill us up this season so that the rest of the world looks at us and in the worst parts of our life looks at us and says, how can you have such joy? And we can say, I don't even know. It doesn't even make sense. Only because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.